A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Tom Van Aken, who is the CEO of Avantium. Avantium is a pioneer in the renewable and sustainable chemistry space. Their flagship product is PEF, which is a replacement for PET. And we're hopefully going to get a chance to talk about that because Avantium is doing some very cool partnerships in getting that product placed. And Tom has been with the company since 2002 and has actually been CEO since 2005, making him one of the longest running CEOs in the Netherlands. So I think we're going to have a great conversation. Tom, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you, Victoria. Very nice to be here. Yeah, I'm delighted to have you here. So Tom, what is your origin story? How did you get interested in renewable chemistry and how did you come to join Avantium? Yeah, I first joined Avantium in 2002. At that moment, I was very much interested in innovation and previously worked at DSM, worked more in the biotechnology industry. And I realized that disruptive innovation was much more taking place in in startup companies rather than, let's say, these large corporate organizations. So I really wanted to be part of a journey like that. So I joined Avantium and at that moment, it was very much a, a high-throughput experimentation company, very much focused on catalysis uh, R&D. And we basically, after I'd become CEO in 2005, we changed basically the company and directed it in a direction of renewable chemistry, first as an alternative to move away from using fossil feedstocks, so trying to use renewable feedstocks. In all fairness, more because we thought the world would be running out of oil at a certain moment. And of course, later on, realizing that in order to do things more sustainably and in a more circular, fitting with a circular economy, that actually renewable chemistry was actually the way to go. And that's where we've been going uh, since that time. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your products and maybe even the process and the products. What is the feedstock? What is it that you're making? Yeah. So I think, uh, Victoria, we are one of the newest kids on the block in that sense. Of course, the chemical industry is very much relying on the use of fossil feedstock, but we are only working on things that are renewable. So we use renewable carbon in the form of plant-based sugars as a feedstock. They can come from various crops or various sources of, uh, of biomass. And we use a catalytic process to convert these sugars into different chemicals. And the most advanced technology that we have is focused on FDCA, furan dicarboxylic acid. And that was actually, we started the project in 2006. So we've been working on that already for quite a while. And, you know, on base of FTCA, you can then move into different types of polymers. And in 2010, we realized that the biggest opportunity will be in PEF, which is a new polyester that we are developing and commercializing. And yeah, so this has been a phenomenal journey to build a company basically from scratch and developing 
a new monomer, but also developing a new polymer. I don't think that there are many startups that have uh, such an ambition, but it's been really a phenomenal journey with the team to go from an R&D organization and now moving more towards a commercial operation and ultimately to license the technology and to make this one of the, the new large chemical businesses based on renewables. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. And you guys are actually in the process of building a commercial plant. Is that right? Yes. So we have in 2000, uh, when it was 2011, opened our pilot plants for making FTCA. And last year, we made our final investment decision for building a commercial scale FTCA plant here in the north of the Netherlands. So we're currently uh, running that construction project. And we expect the plant to be mechanically complete by the end of 23. And that means that in 2024, FTCA and PEF will be on the market. And this is the first time that the world can see what it can do with uh, yeah, the FTCA monomer and, and PEF polymer. And we have very high expectations of the commercial potential of this new polymer. Of course, it's a bit of the dream of, I think, any chemist that you start off with something in the lab, you see it to piloting and scaling it. And now it's really going to go commercial. So that this uh, explains, of course, why many people are very excited about this company, but more importantly, why they're so excited about PEF. Yeah, that is really awesome. And it's been a long journey. I know we talked before we, we got started here um, about the parallel to Vantium and Lanzatech, who is also, I interviewed Jennifer Holmgren on a month or so ago on episode 60, so people can go listen. But they've also been in business for about 20 years and it seems like all of a sudden there's this rapid success. Avantium's been in business for about 20 years, and you're really starting to see that commercial success. It's been quite a journey. I think one of the questions I have for you on that is like, what's been the challenge in terms of just the development, the perseverance? I mean, Avantium started in a different place, right? Catalysis versus where it is today, although it still obviously has catalysis as a backbone. How's that process evolved and how have you been able to see it through the ups and downs over the last 20 years? Yeah. Well, of course, if you look at an innovation project like this, it has many different aspects, right? So you need to first solve the chemistry, then you start looking at more the engineering and the economics. But as it is a new polymer, you also have to develop the applications and the end markets and find partners that are interested in that. You need to build a team to do that and you need to find the financial resource to do it. And I think in that sense, uh, lots of tech and Avantium are similar to what they've gone through because both companies didn't have an ongoing business. So they didn't have, uh, let's say, existing cash flow to be funding these type of developments. We had to raise that money from investors and from the, and you know, our company has gone public in 2017. So now we also have access to the capital markets. And I think, you know, Jennifer mentioned that they'd raised about 500 million euros, which I think you know maybe a bit more than what we've done, but I think it is let's say the similar similar ballpark, and that is of course an extremely challenging journey to go through because these type of innovation projects they take a long time, they're very risky, and that combination is very difficult to get financed. So I think that's been one of the real challenges for people like us is to find investors that are willing to put in money for a project that has such a long time horizon. Now, the beauty, of course, is if it is successful, the potential is also phenomenal. So this is not just a local specialty. Or this is really what we are working on has the potential to really become one of the large polymers in the world. In that sense, that makes it so exciting to, to work here and to keep going despite that it takes long and that despite that you have all kinds of setbacks, 
is that, you know, that conviction that this is going to be one of the new plastics that is totally plant-based, that's not relying on petroleum. It has super performance. It's fully circular. So yeah, we can do something that's both good for the environment, but also something that's really going to help the plastics and the packaging industry to move to something that's more sustainable. I think that's right. And I think you're right. It's almost like the game of golf, right? Every time you have a good hit, I don't play golf, so I probably don't have good analogies, but it's what keeps you going. It's all the terribleness and you're ready to be done. And then it's like, oh, that was awesome. Let's keep moving. I suppose in terms of the whole aspect of innovation and innovating with a new technology, each success creates momentum and drives you forward. Yes, exactly. You need sometimes that adrenaline rush to be going for the next stage of the journey. And using that adrenaline, you can actually overcome all kinds of setbacks. Because of course, all of these companies are going through significant difficulties. And I think many people have said beforehand, Tom, there are not that many companies that have successfully developed a new polymer and brought it to the market. So many people have told me in those years, basically, this is not going to work. And I'm extremely proud of the team that we've been able to move ahead and push ahead, overcome these challenges, and now are at a phase where we can see PEF products, PEF bottles, PEF packaging coming to your supermarket and to your refrigerator in the coming two years. I think that's a very exciting prospect and very rewarding. It is. I think it is exciting. And I think to your point, I mean, there's always the naysayers, right? In everything you do. And I've certainly seen it as I've developed my own consulting business. I've developed a podcast. I think developing a polymer is probably a bit more daunting, but you have to take your advice from people that have done it and not from those that have never even tried. Yes, that's absolutely the case. If you look at the team, it's sort of, and the team that, of course, people that are on the payroll, but also we have, of course, used many people that have consulted us and that have advised us on how to and coached us through this journey. Indeed, there are many people that believe that these things, disruptions don't take place or maybe they don't want them to take place. There are always people that believe that innovation like this is going to be successful and you need to rely on them and they are creative ideas and they're brilliant minds to overcome some of these uh, these uh, major challenges. So yeah, the team is really what, what sets it apart. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about customers and the customer experience. One of the biggest challenges I would imagine in commercializing new products of any variety is really just figuring out what is it that the customer really wants, right? So there's this, you know, you can have the field of dreams. If I, you know, if you build it, they will come. Well, maybe. But really this whole aspect of how do you figure out what your customers really want and know that you are developing a product and a solution that they're interested in? How have you gone about figuring that out? Yeah, I think a few things that I can answer to this, which is, first of all, thinking from a customer's perspective is something you should do basically from the get-go. Because ultimately, it's the consumer and the customer that basically needs to embrace the product. If that's not going to be the case, there's no real market for this. So I think we had this in mind from the start. But also, I sincerely believe that it is ultimately the consumer that is going to drive this transition from a set of fossil one-way plastics that we're used to today to renewable circular materials. I think the consumer will ultimately basically determine how quickly that is going to be adopted. And, you know, everyone is, of course, talking about what the government can do and the government can help, can accelerate or can slow things down. But ultimately, it's the market and it's going to be the, the consumer that is in charge. And 
of course, as a technology company, because we're not a real chemical company, right? we're a technology company, we want to license our, our technologies and enable other companies to produce FDCA and PDF and some of the other technologies that we have in the pipeline. You need to find partners that can help you to basically reach the customer. And that is not something that is an easy, let's say, question to what partner to find. And you can think about it, but are they also going to be interested? And I absolutely believe that there's an element of luck here because 10 years ago, we worked together with the Coca-Cola company and with Danone, two really reputable consumer goods companies, but they were very clear in their ambition to move to sustainable materials. And they knew this was going to take time. Probably it has taken more time than what they had hoped for or planned for. It always takes more time. That we know. Yeah. Visionary people in these organizations, they have signed development agreements. They made investments in the company. And that allowed us basically to move forward. And more recently, we found other companies, also consumer companies, but also converters that work with us to bring PEF bottles, PEF films and also PF fibers to the market. We have signed up 10 offtake agreements for the first plant. We have very reputable brand owners in there, such as Carlsberg, such as InBev. We're working with converters. So we're working with Louis Vuitton on cosmetics and perfume packaging. And I think the beauty of that is that enables us to attract really good people because, of course, this creates positive momentum, positive press. But also for investors, it's extremely important that you get that stamp of validation that this is a material that is going to be used in these you know, really high-end markets. And that puts you on the map. And if you now look at the commercial pipeline that we have, we have a very strong commercial momentum. And that is, of course, building on these first partnerships that we sign. So I don't think you can basically overestimate the importance of getting the right partners on board. And sometimes you need a bit of luck and you need some visionary people that help you through those difficult times. I think that's right. And, you know, yeah, we can't lose sight of luck, but it's also the hard work in the bringing it together. So I think what's interesting is partnerships is obviously critical on this whole path to commercializing new technologies. What I think is interesting is that Avantium has taken a different approach maybe to what some other companies have done in terms of forming consortias or communities to bring a number of people together into that. So I know one of the examples is Pefferance, is that how you say it? Which has been super successful, right? And that's, I know, where LVMH, so Louis Vuitton, for the people that don't know, I was super impressed by that. Carlsberg Beer and others have been part of that consortia and are now signing off take agreements with that. So how did you decide on this approach of a community or consortia approach as opposed to sometimes I think it's many people go one by one to try to tackle these? Yeah. Well, of course, if you look at bringing a new polymer to the market, it's not just that if we work with one brand owner that we can basically meet everything that they require. So you need other companies in the mix as well. And for PEF, there were two things which were super important to them, which was there needs to be a supply chain. So all the way from the raw material from the plant-based sugar to chemical plants, polymerization company, converters before it actually goes to the brand owner. So we form consortia that basically bring all these different partners in such supply chain together. The funny thing is, if you look at the, the companies in the supply chain, they don't only want to rely on one brand owner. They want to make sure that we tap into different markets and different segments. 
So that's why we've worked together with a group of brand owners and in different markets. And the funny thing was, or the, the most interesting part was that they started to exchange all kinds of ideas, what you can do with PEF in terms of how you can process it, how you can recycle it. It's a new monomer, it's a new polymer. So there are many things we had to find out. And of course, the great thing is if it's not just a volume that tells them we should try this or we should do this, but they start telling, exchanging their own information. And that's the beauty of if you have a good consortium is that basically take care of all the intellectual property on how that's being divided and managed and that you create an atmosphere where people can exchange more freely information. So the, basically the innovation goes faster. And we've recently done basically, I think a very similar thing on fibers. So PF fibers, we basically are now working together with multiple companies in apparel and textile applications together with companies that are helping us to develop the spinning technology that are helping us to basically on how to best process PF fiber. So we take the same approach and I think this works really well if you work together and then it goes much faster than if you have these one-on-one -on -one partnerships. So it is in that sense, something that we deeply believe in that this is helping us to accelerate success. And I think you touched on getting some of the structure sorted out around IP, et cetera, that allows you'd have that degree of trust and cooperation and, and collaboration inside of it. What would be the one or two or three things that you say are really critical to making that collaboration happen? Many people, would, of course, would look at the legal things, but ultimately, I think it's much more, you need to create that atmosphere of trust because that's when people really start exchanging the real meaningful information. And trust is something that you have to build very slowly. And a critical element of that is actually face meetings which of course during the pandemic was actually something which was extremely difficult, but actually to get people together where they would actually take examples. So they would take bottles or they would take films and show that to the other partners because they were also proud of what they were developing and that they could show that. So that is something that created that level of trust and also the feeling I'm not the only person or the only organization working on this because next to me there's a beer company or there's a toy company like Lego or there's a company working on detergents and they're all working on PEF. So they knew that what they were doing was it gives people more comfort that they are working basically on something which is truly relevant. Yeah, that built that confidence also in that this material is going to be commercialized. And that is the most difficult thing when you bring a new polymer to the market. Everyone is keeps being uncertain. Is it really going to be yeah, it doesn't come to the market or is it going to be one of these projects that ends before it really is in the supermarket? That is the easier thing for us right now because now people are, you know, they can just see the plant being constructed. And of course, then now it is much easier because now people know this will come. And of course, now the difficulty for them is there's not much material available. So you need to be fast, otherwise you're going to be too late. Yeah, absolutely. Especially it's successful and customers want to buy it and want to buy the products that are made with these materials. There'll be tremendous demand on what you could produce. Before people think, okay, this is just all being just one straight line to success. If you look in the history of Avantium, you can also see some of the difficulties also for our partners. When we started with Peverance, we had BSF as a member of the concern. We had a JV with BSF to build the first plant actually at their site in Antwerp. Unfortunately, that JV didn't work out as we had expected. So we had to dismantle the JV and had to set up a new strategy to bring this product to the market. So of course, then in these days, times, it's of course much more difficult to keep everyone on board and to avoid that people are just basically jumping from a ship that they think is going to be sinking. 
So we've had some real tough times. I think you know, also because of the help of our partners, we always had the confidence that this was going to be sorted and that we would find a way to get the material on the market. Yeah, absolutely. When I think it'd be easy for people to say, oh, you're in the right place at the right time. And there's a lot of that is true, given the focus on sustainability, but it's a 20-year journey. So I don't think you knew. I mean, my guess is 20 years ago when you started working with Avantium, the path was not clear, right? Uh, you didn't necessarily know when the end game was going to hit and how this focus on sustainability and, and renewable products was going to manifest. You're absolutely right. And I would even admit that I thought this whole transition would go much faster than it actually. I still believe that this transition to sustainability is going painfully slow. So actually, I my anticipation was that this transition would go faster and that we... Um, of course, we have the win in our sales when it comes about the need for sustainability and the need for more circular materials. But I'm still very concerned that what's happening is still going way too slow to address the incredible challenges that we have to move away from these fossil resources to drastically reduce carbon emissions and to move to a circular plastic economy. So I think we're just still at the start of this transition. So yeah, you maybe always people will tell you, okay, were you too early? Were you too late? It's very difficult to get your timing right in this space, uh, Victoria. Yeah, I agree. And I think we are still very early days because even these ambitions that companies and countries and governments have around 2030 and 2050, it's hard to sometimes see how we move everything to a renewable and sustainable level to hit those targets, right? It's and I think people, experts have said that something like more than 50% of the technology we need to make this transition has not even been developed yet. And of course, we know, and you know personally, it's not an overnight thing to develop these technologies. Yeah, but the interesting thing is this whole transition for many people in the industry may be a bit of a threat, but I see it much more as an opportunity. And that's why I you would really encourage people to actually go study, you know, and chemical engineering or chemistry, because look at all the products we're still making from petroleum. If we need to make them from renewable carbon, there is a whole a lot of things are to be developed. So there are huge opportunities in this space for new technology, for new companies, new products. So, you know, I see once this is done, so PEFs on the market and becomes, you know, one of these major polymers. There are still many other things to do. And that's also what Avantium is doing. We're working on CO2 to chemicals. We're working on second generation feedstocks, working on completely new polyesters. So yeah, there is so much to do to make that transition happen. And I think it will provide huge opportunities for a company like us. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And I think that's a really great point because we should be attracting more people to the industry, to chemistry, to chemical engineering to the sciences because we need those bright minds to create the next wave of products and innovations that is that we need for the transition. In that sense, if you look at the, you know, we have what is it, 250 people in the company, they're coming from all over the globe, very diverse. So I think that is it's a very encouraging development. If you just look around in a company like us, you can see that this is relevant not only for people in this part of the world, it's relevant for people everywhere. And it is attracting people from everywhere because they see this is great science. It's a great opportunity. Great products are being developed. And yeah, that's where people want to be part of. And yeah, that puts us in a good position to recruit the talent that we need to be successful. I think that's right. I think it's awesome. So Tom, let's talk a little bit about economics because I think one of the hurdles to 
energy transition to this product transition into a more sustainable world is just the sheer economics of things, right? So new products and new materials are more expensive, right? The scale is not there. Maybe just the fundamental economics are not there. And people have become accustomed to cheap and cheerful products, right? I think that's one of the reasons why recycling is so challenging, why we have this just proliferation of products, physical products that people are using on a daily basis. And a lot of it has to do with the fundamental just economics. They, people want cheap things. How is that going to change? And do you see it changing? Do you think customers are willing to pay a higher price? I think some of your early partners here with offtake agreements, at least a few of them, are obviously targeting a higher end market where people are less price sensitive. But how do you think about and wrestle with the whole economics of this and, and what it takes to make it really in every household? No, of course, it's a very relevant point, Victoria. So like you said, we have to benefit that PF has some really outstanding performance uh, characteristics. So we have very high barrier, which you actually, yeah, you can replace high-end products or more expensive materials with PEF, which means we can dictate a higher price in the beginning. But of course, the next step is to build larger scale factories to go down the cost curve and, and get to the economy of scale. The interesting thing that I've always heard from brand owners is the customer is not willing to pay. I've heard that so many times. And in all fairness, I don't believe any of I think that is actually something they were all sort of focused to go to the lowest cost solutions. And I think that there are many examples where people have actually proven that there is a, a real market for things where people are prepared to pay a premium as long as the product is better, as it's more sustainable, it's better for the, for the environment. There are always limitations. It doesn't mean that you can just charge whatever you need. You need to be ultimately, of course, in a place where there is at least visibility of something that is price and performance competitive. So we are very focused to bring the cost of PEF and other technology that we're developing down in order to make sure that we can penetrate in these really large markets where price is very important. But I think you can start off in the high-end markets where people are prepared to pay a higher price. And I think you can see it in many other industries. If you look at you know, the meat industry, if you have organic or you have organic fruit, or that was also started off with a certain premium and people were prepared to pay for it. So yeah, I think that is something which is also a bit of a learning journey, right? I don't know everything. We're just trying to understand what our customers prepared to pay. I often ask it to, in particular, to the younger consumers. and said, okay, you want something that's more sustainable? Are you also willing to pay? Most of the time they say yes, but some people would say it's 10% or it's 20%. And I think in that sense, it's always interesting. If you look at, I'll just take an example of an orange juice. We make the bottle for orange juice. Fresh orange juice is really expensive compared to the bottle. So if the bottle becomes a bit more expensive, do you think that the consumer really is going to notice? What the consumer finds more important is that there are no, you know, all kinds of chemicals being added to the fruit juice, but that you have a packaging that really keeps it fresh and keeps it actually in good condition. And that is where I think, you know, products like PEF can play a role. Maybe it's a bit more expensive than this really ultra-cheap PET bottle, but if you compare it with glass or compare it with other multi-layer products, you can see it is something that really brings value. And we find many customers that are willing to pay for it. So I find this a, an extremely interesting topic, but I think we have to be open-minded and not just be sort of completely in a tunnel. Everything needs to be ultra cheap. I think that's simply not um, representing the reality. Yeah. And you're right. And I think if the value proposition is strong enough, people are willing to pay. 
We know that. We see that all over the place. And on a relative basis, the cost of the polymer is only a fraction of the overall cost of the finished product. Yeah. And of course, if we get better at recycling it, it should help us really to, because I'm always amazed that just making a new bottle is cheaper than recycling a used bottle. That's the part I still, my thinking can't be, I think it actually should be cheaper to have a recycled bottle than to use virgin raw materials. That's something I'm always wrestling with. I agree. I agree. I mean, and it's not even all kinds of goods, consumer goods. It's cheaper to buy a new one than to repair it. Well, but I don't want to have to throw it out. It just needs a widget of whatever the widget is that it needs. And yet it's cheaper to dispose of it and buy a new one than it is to buy the replacement part. But I'm convinced that that is something we will witness over the coming years that that's going to change because I think that is really the wrong mentality and that's it's not going to help us to bring us to the circular economy. So yeah, I'm actually optimistic that that's going to change. Me too. I hope so. I hope we see that in our lifetimes, <laughs> which I'm planning to live for a long time. So hope, so I should see it, right? That should be the answer. Anyway, Tom, this has been really good. What is next for you and Avantium? What's your focus here over the coming year? Yeah, well, in that sense, it's very exciting to be part of this business because we plan to build our plan to get PF on the market this 2024, which of course is going to be very rewarding for everyone who has contributed to this to see the product on the market. But immediately we're going to then see the licensing business because we are a technology licensing business. We built the first plant, then we'll sell licenses in order to make sure that other companies can produce this around the globe under our license. So, you know, from 24 onwards, we are going to see that basically taking place. We have other products in the pipeline that are going to come very close off this. The first being plant-based glycol, so monoethylene glycol, which is the other element you need to make PEF or to make PET. We want to make sure that we make it in a very competitive way from plant-based sugars. Moving to second-generation feedstocks, using CO2, using the carbon from carbon dioxide, use that to make chemicals and polymers. So yeah, it's going to take a while before we're ready here with bringing all those innovations to the market. But I think the most exciting part for me is to really complete the transition from an R&D company to a commercial organization. And that is a super exciting part to a time to be yeah, part of Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Enjoyed talking with you and I know others have as well. So thanks for joining us on The Chemical Show. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening. Keep listening, liking and sharing the podcast and we've got more great episodes coming. So thank you. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.